Getting Better Healthcare is brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our healthcare system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Healthcare, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our healthcare system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Health Care on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the drscore.com physician rating website. Well, I can tell you as a physician what a joy it is to take care of patients. You know, we doctors take great joy in making a, an immediate difference in patients' lives, helping, helping patients have better health, um, which allows them to live their whole lives better. It's, it's a great field. At the same time, we doctors are getting a bit fed up with all the barriers that our healthcare system puts into place that makes it harder for us to give great medical care to patients. More and more third parties are intruding on the relationship between doctors and patients, telling us what we can and should do, making the system more, more inefficient rather than more efficient. Boy, everything else in every other industry tries to get more efficient over time. The medical care industry gets less and less efficient. Practice guidelines tell us how we're supposed to treat people instead of letting us use our best judgment. Well, to speak to us about these issues today, we have a practicing physician who is, direct, is a director of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Dr. Richard Ammerling. Welcome to the program, Dr. Ammerling. Good to be with you. Well, you know, I'm a practicing physician, too, and I think taking care of patients just is such a joy for me. You know, I make a difference in people's lives. Being a dermatologist, I make an immediate difference, making people feel well. And I, I get to do this. I, I see so many people. I get to, to make so many people um, feel better. I get so much f positive feedback. But every day I feel like it's getting harder and harder um, for me to do it. And more and more barriers seem to be put in, in, in my way by our healthcare system. This seems to be something that you've written and uh, thought a lot about. Yes. Tell us. I, what, I will I share with you the joy of practicing medicine. And I'm a nephrologist, so I take care of patients with kidney failure and who are threatened with loss of kidney function. And I get to intervene in an extremely meaningful way in their lives. And there's nothing that can quite compare with that as far as I'm concerned. But as you say, it is getting harder and harder. There is more and more paperwork. Every day I spend at least an hour on sending in pre-authorizations, on, on approving, getting pre-certification for testing, for medications. Now, my secretaries can do uh, some of this, but a lot of it ends up on my desk. Um, there are increasingly rigid formularies in terms of prescribing drugs, both in the hospital and out of the hospital. 
that has to be dealt with. I, I'm getting called for uh, to, to to answer questions on tests that I think are absolutely routine and indicated. There, there really is no question about. I, I don't order tests for frivolous reasons. Neither do colleagues. Uh, this is something that is getting out of hand. And by the way, almost never is a test rejected. If I want to do a CT scan or an MRI, I have a hundred percent batting record in terms of getting these approved. So what's the point? Uh, it doesn't really limit the testing. It's ju it just creates a barrier that drains our time and energy. I suspect that they, if somebody were trying to defend it, they would say that, well, the reason it's 100% now is because they have this program in place, and if they didn't, people would be asking for tests that, that weren't defensible. Well, you know, we should think about where, how we got here. And the, the way we got here is because of the unfettered um, third-party payment system. This has not been a, uh, a failure of free market medicine, as many would say that it is. There is virtually no f true free market medicine going on right now other than in small niches of concierge medical practices, uh, direct payment practices, uh, cosmetic surgery would, would, would qualify as true free market, uh, LASIK eye surgery, and things like uh, full-body CT scanning as preventive measures. These things are outside the third-party system. And what has been the experience in these areas? Well, it's been universally good. Patients are happy with their results for the most part. They pay out of pocket or, the, or out of health savings accounts if they have them. And prices are moderated. Uh, uh, the best example is LASIK eye surgery, which when it first came out cost about $3,000 per eye. It's now about $300 per eye. So. Free market competition works in medicine. The problem is it hasn't really had a chance to, to uh, exist. The third-party payment system came about largely as a result of the employer mandate, not a mandate, an employer tax incentive to provide health care. That, that started during World War II when there were wage and price controls in place and was never changed after the war ended and the wage and price controls were lifted everywhere except in places like New York City, where they still have rent control apartments, by the way. Uh, this led to the institutionalization, if you will, of third-party medicine, with uh, gradually decreasing deductibles, uh, gradually decreasing co-pays, so that the person who's getting the service, i.e. the patient, has very little price signaling going on, and they feel that they can just go and get whatever they want without any consideration of what this is costing. They have this idea that, the, that they're getting free medical care, that their boss, is at, boss out of the generosity of their heart is giving them free medical uh, insurance. That's not true. They're getting that instead of salary. If we were to get rid of this tax break, uh, everybody would immediately get a salary boost, which would represent the value of that benefit. And that is really what I think should happen, by the way. I think we need to get away from this system where we're buying our health care uh, through our uh, employer. Uh, we, we have very little incentive to economize, and in fact, just the opposite, because since this is an in-kind benefit instead of cash, 
if you don't use your health care, you're actually losing money. And it's a lot of money because these policies are not cheap. They're anywhere from ten to $20,000 or more a year. So this is what has distorted the practice of medicine. The absence of price signaling uh, creates a overwhelming demand, and then there is no disincentive for the provider to provide the service. Um, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think of, you know, how I can go to the grocery store and buy, you know, incredible food at low cost. I can go to Best Buy and I can buy and amazing electronics that just get better and better and are cheaper and cheaper. And then I think of medical care where people argue about the quality of it. I, they, by and large, I think it's good, but the prices just keep going up and up without any sense that there's any of the developing and um, efficiencies that you see everywhere else in our more exactly. relatively free market economy. Exactly. It's... it's uh it's price control, that every level, uh, every service, is the price is dictated by a third party, either an insurance company or uh, federal government or the state government. Uh, they're, they're controlling what these prices are, and it's rigid. So there's no reason why an MRI need to, needs to cost $1,000 or more. In a free market, it would probably be a lot less. You know, it would, it would go down. If there were truly competition on price and quality, uh, we would see prices moderate. Capitalism does work. The free market does work. The price system works. It has not been allowed to work. And the government is, has, has become a very big payer uh, through Medicare and Medicaid, and it really kind of sets the tone in terms of price controls. And it's completely demolished the practice of medicine. I mean, I work under a very high Medicare burden in terms of dialysis patients. And they have micromanaged and price-controlled dialysis uh, almost out of existence. And the practice of nephrology has become exceedingly difficult in terms of uh, dealing with uh, this, this level of micromanagement. And since we are so dominated by Medicare, I believe that we are the canary in the coal mine of what's going to be happening to the rest of medicine down the line as uh, government takes over. I mean, PPACA, the, the, what's, met, what's commonly known, known as Obamacare, inserts the government at virtually every level of private medical care now. They will be controlling the private insurance industry, dictating to them what they can charge, who they must cover, what they must provide as coverage. They will, that will lead to rigid price controls for all kinds of services, doctor services, testing, etc., uh, that will stifle the marketplace, and it's going to stifle innovation, and it's going to, uh, over time, destroy what is great about American medicine. I, I want to go back to the, um, the way you, f you phrased it, um, the uh, price incentives, the price signaling. Um, you know, I, and take that example of an MRI. I... I just imagine that the day that we change the system and make it so that the patient has an incentive to look at the costs and they're told, you need an MRI, instead of going for their MRI as the physician recommends, they will call three or four different MRI establishments and find out who's offering it for the lowest price. And the day that happens, the price of these things are just going to start tumbling. 
Absolutely. There's so, no question about it. So how would so, that work with dialysis? You, you, you foresee something similar could be done there? Well, I do, and I've actually written about this, and I think that there's no reason why a health savings account model uh, cannot work for dialysis services. I, I've written about this in some detail. So dialysis patients uh, have their uh, dialysis and, and all their medical issues paid for mostly by Medicare. Uh, Medicare began covering patients with end-stage renal disease back in the 70s. And in some ways, it's been the model of, an, of a successful government program in that here is an indication where traditional insurance, you know, would have a problem because it's such a costly uh, disease state. It costs sixty to $70,000 a year to keep someone on dialysis and, and all the other medical things that they have to have done. So this would be a good example of how government might get involved as, for example, an insurer of last resort for this kind of an illness. But the truth is they have increasingly shifted their burden to the private payer. So if you develop end-stage kidney disease while on a private insurance plan, they cover you for the first three years of your, of your dialysis. Um, so it could be done in the private sector as well. So we don't absolutely need the government to do this. Uh, but they have, over time, uh, made it very rigid and very price controlled. So what I suggest is that this money that is spent on the dialysis patient, say, on a monthly basis, be transferred into an account that they control and that they can access via a charge card and that they would then pay for their dialysis and pay for their drugs and pay for their doctor visits out of this account. Well, they would suddenly be transformed from a very passive group of, of patients into a very active and dynamic group of patients who would be questioning everything. And the prices would start to be controlled by competition and the providers would be competing based on price and quality. So the quality of care would immediately go up. So people talk a lot about patient empowerment. The only way to truly empower patients is to put them in control of the financial transaction. If you give them the money and allow them to control the flow of funds, they are immediately empowered and their wishes are, are, are taken into account uh, by providers at every level. So I think that that could work. It's, it's been done in Medicaid populations in a couple of states. So uh, it's something that I think should be considered. Unfortunately, it's, gone, it's going in just the wrong direction. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Ammerling next week. He's going to tell us more about how socialized systems of care affect physicians' incentives, how top-down approaches to improving medical care are problematic um, and not the solution to our problems. I hope you'll join us for this uh, continued fascinating discussion with Dr. Ammerling of the private practice-centered, focused ideas on um, how to solve our healthcare dilemmas. Getting Better Healthcare has been brought to you in part by Leo Pharma. Our theme music is by the incomparable Michael Zioli, until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to healthcare empowerment. That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E.com. 
www.drscore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.